Welcome to the Preacher Girl Podcast. I'm Diane Wright. This talk was originally shared at St. John's Unitarian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, on August 14, 2011. There are two readings. The Prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it is in forgiving that we are forgiven. The second reading is from Annie Dillard, from her book For the Time Being. The good times and the heroic people are all gone. Everyone knows this. Everyone always has. Kali Yuga is Sanskrit for our own degenerate and unfortunate times, the end of the end. The Hindus first used this term between 300 BCE and 300 CE. Almost 16 centuries ago, Augustine looked back three centuries at the apostles and their millennialism and said, Those were the last days then, how much more so now? Nowadays, an 11th century Buddhist master complained, We see students who sit diligently but do not awaken. In the 12th century, Rabbi Judah Halevi mourned the loss of decent music. He said it degenerated from its former greatness because the people, too, had degenerated. There is so much worldliness nowadays, St. Teresa of Avila wrote to her brother in 1570, that I simply hate having possessions. Nowadays, an Hasidic rabbi said in the late late 1700s, men's souls are orphaned and their times decayed. Annie Dillard goes on to say, There were no formerly heroic times, and there was no formerly pure generation. There is no one here but us chickens, and so it has always been. A people busy and powerful, knowledgeable, ambivalent, important, fearful, and self-aware. People who scheme, promote, deceive, and conquer who pray for their loved ones and long to flee misery and skip death. The absolute is available to everyone in every age. There never was a more holy age than ours, and never a less. spring, when I was asked to speak on this date, I did what I always do now to prepare for a reflection. I checked the date itself. There is a lot to reflect upon that is connected to this date. In 1842, on this date, the Second Seminole War ended, resulting in the Seminoles being forced to move from Florida to Oklahoma. The Cape Girardeau meteorite struck in Missouri on August 14th in 1846. 
1933, on this date, loggers started a forest fire in Oregon, later referred to as the Tillamook Burn. It burned until September 5th of that year and destroyed 240,000 acres of forest. On this date, in 1935, the United States Social Security Act passed. The Turkish invasion of Cyprus began on this date in 1974. The American Football League was founded on this date in 1967, and it's Steve Martin's birthday. And it's the feast day of St. Maximilian. In the long list of events, that caught my eye. I love the name Maximilian, and I had never heard of a saint by that name. And as soon as I started doing some research about him, I knew this was my starting point. So today I'd like to share with you the story of St. Maximilian. And because he was a Franciscan monk, I also want to reflect on monastic traditions and their history. Several of you have heard me talk about the impact of these stories, the impact that they've had on me throughout the weeks I've been reading and preparing for this day. And I hope you will find, in my secondhand versions, some of the same inspiration. I was asked, as I was preparing for this talk, why a Unitarian would talk about a Catholic monk. And I want to begin this journey by inviting you to look at the Unitarian principles and the sources for the living tradition we share. You can find these listed on the Unitarian Universalist Association website at www. UUA.org. Today, I'll be focusing on two of these. Direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. And words and deeds of prophetic women and men, which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and and the transforming power of love. As we share the story of Maximilian Kolbe and his direct experience of transcending mystery and wonder, I hope we can hold that story like a new lens upon our own lives in this holy age. Maximilian was born Raymond Kolbe in 1894 in a village of weavers in Poland. His father was a Polish freedom fighter. His mother was a nurse and a midwife. As a child, Raymond was frequently in trouble, and one day when he was 13, the story goes that his mother asked in exasperation, Raymond, what is to become of you? Raymond changed after that. He became studious and filled with focus and light, and when his mother asked him what had happened to him, He told her that after she had asked him what would become of him, he had prayed to the Virgin Mary and asked that same question, and in a dream the Blessed Mother had held out two crowns to him, a white crown symbolizing a life of service to her through purity, and a red crown symbolizing a life of service to her through martyrdom. She wanted him to choose, and he told her he chose both. That year, he entered the Franciscan Seminary. But still, at age 16, it was not an easy choice for him to enter the monastery. He was also considering a life of military service. 
especially as he saw the world around him in turmoil and his own country occupied. World War I was about to begin when he entered the Franciscan monastery, and in his studies he became focused on Mary as the divinely chosen agent through whom the tide of darkness gathering about the 20th century would be reversed. He took another either-or, the choice of military service or religious life, and turned it into a both. He declared himself a knight in the service of Mary the Immaculate, and very quickly he drew others into his movement, dedicating themselves to win for Mary by word, example, and prayer, nothing less than the whole world. There is so much to say about Kolbe's life that he became ill with tuberculosis shortly after joining the Franciscans, and it left him physically ravaged, so much so that his colleagues called him marmalade because he moved so slowly. But it appears he never stopped moving. He started a magazine at the friary, which within a few years had a circulation of over 70,000. A Polish prince, moved by what he read in the magazine, donated land to Kolbe, and so Maximilian and a group of friars moved their printing presses to this new place and built the buildings by hand. The original community included two priests and 18 lay brothers and candidates, and within a decade it grew to nearly 800. They called their community the City of the Immaculate, and eventually it boasted the largest community of Franciscan men in the world. In the middle of all this, Maximilian encountered four Japanese students on a train, and he was so impressed by them that he convinced the leaders of his diocese to support him in taking four brothers to Japan. He spent five years in Nagasaki. Within one month of arrival, the group had worked with the people they met to produce their first issue of a magazine in Japanese, and they built a second city of the Immaculate there. He was criticized for choosing a site on the side of a hill away from the city center. But it turned out his choice meant that after Kolbe left Japan, the building survived the atomic bomb blast and became one of the main orphanage and hospital sites. There is a picture I found of Maximilian, decades before Merton, standing with Buddhist monks as they discussed monastic life. But Maximilian isn't remembered for these activities. He's remembered because not long after his return to Poland, he was taken to Auschwitz by the Nazis. The Nazis were unhappy with Kolbe, who frequently spoke out against them, both in the periodicals he produced, there were four now, and on the radio programming he produced. He had started his own station. He was getting ready to build an airport at the City of the Immaculate. He's remembered because when a prisoner escaped and the guards came to gather ten prisoners to be starved to to death as punishment, one of the men they chose began weeping about his wife and children, and Kolbe offered himself in that man's place. That was July 30th, 1941. And today, August 14th, is the feast day, an ironic name, of St. Maximilian, because this is the day, 70 years ago, 
He died of starvation in a prison cell at Auschwitz. So for the last two weeks, I have to tell you, I've been thinking about that cell and thinking about Maximilian Kolbe singing and praying through the pain of starvation, hearing the confessions of the other prisoners, blessing the guards. It turns out the man whose place he took survived and was present at the canonization of Kolbe in 1982. In the words of 16th century Unitarian minister Francis David, revelation is not sealed, meaning the truth continues to be revealed to us. The universe is not done. I come to the story of Maximilian and stories of the Franciscan tradition, the Benedictine tradition, the Dominicans, the Jesuits, as someone who was raised unchurched, And I share that because I know these stories strike different inner chords for different people based on many things, but especially based on a person's experience of these stories and traditions. I'm intrigued by the structure of monastic life, and in gathering information for today, I learned the term hagiography, the writing about the lives of the saints. Intrinsic in hagiography is the idea that the saints can be soul friends, people whose lives can serve as examples for us. That appeals to me, especially as I encounter stories like the story of St. Bridget, the Irish saint from the 6th century. Bridget angered her father as a girl because she kept giving away his belongings, including his prized sword, to the poor. When he and her brothers tried to marry her off to a suitor she didn't like, Bridget didn't just say no. She plucked her eyeball out of its socket and let it dangle on her cheek. She made her point. Her father backed off, and Bridget went with a group of women friends to join a convent, and eventually she headed up a huge church of her own. Bridget wrote poetry that included images like great lakes of ale that all people could enjoy alongside the Holy Father in heaven. But the 6th century seems pretty distant. Auschwitz in 1941 is closer. The canonization ceremony when Kolbe was declared a saint in 1982 is when I was in college. But I didn't hear this story until now. Countless stories go unheard. Is it like the tree in the forest? If a person lives a life of dignity and service and honor, and there's no one there to canonize it, and no entry in Wikipedia, does it matter? For those who believe in a God that witnesses all things, maybe this is an irrelevant question, but I think it's human to want to get credit somehow to want others to know. I think these stories challenge us to consider what motivates us in our own lives. Are we acting out of devotion to that which is larger than ourselves? God? Our planet? Our nation? Our family? Maximilian Kolbe, without the aid of the internet or copying machines, had a magazine going to over 175,000 households before he died. How important does a word have to be 
for a monk to manually set it and run the printing press. How carefully do we consider the words that fly now to millions of people as bits of light on computer screens? Revelation is not sealed. The truth continues to be revealed. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, a Jesuit priest and paleontologist who assisted with the discovery of Peking Man, along with several other groundbreaking geological and paleontological finds, was forbidden by the Catholic Church to continue publishing or lecturing, a sure sign of interesting content. He wrote, By means of all created things, without exception, the divine assails us, penetrates us, and molds us. We imagined it as distant and inaccessible, whereas in fact we live steeped in its burning layers. Today, August 14th, is the day Maximilian Kolbe died, and his body was taken from that cell at Auschwitz and cremated. He was 47. According to survivors from Auschwitz, prayers and songs could be heard from that cell until shortly before he died. He took confessions as long as he had breath. So here we are, in this holy age, steeped in burning layers of the divine. What do we do with that? What is to become of us? Will we walk away and re-immerse ourselves in concerns about the debt ceiling, in stories about the Kardashians, in our own worries about money or school getting started again, or our loved ones who are ill, or our own journey of recovery? Patrick Overton said, Watch your thoughts, for they become your words. Your words become actions, your actions become habits, your habits become your character, and your character becomes your destiny. As we think, so shall we live. What if we thought about each challenge, each frustration, as a chance to honor what is best in us? What if, in the midst of being confronted by a difficult situation, I was able to think to myself, this is me, steeping between the burning layers of the divine. These days, our culture doesn't always embrace the kind of devotion Kolbe lived. I am only too familiar with the course someone's life would probably take if they started saying they were a knight seeking to serve the Immaculate. What do we gain from this worldliness that makes us so quick to find that kind of behavior bizarre? What do we gain from a culture that rewards the ability to make people laugh, the ability to poke fun, rather than the ability to lift up inspiring stories. Most of my friends have heard me quote this statistic. When someone feels they have something to complain about, what's the average number of people they tell? It's 32. When someone has had a good experience, what's the average number of people they tell? It's two. How would it change us to be mindful of those statistics? How would it change the world? I keep imagining 15-year-old Raymond Kolbe studying science and new technologies, excelling in school. What was his image of his own future? Joseph Campbell said, Sometimes we must be willing to get rid of the life we've planned, 
so as to have the life that is waiting for us. The old skin has to be shed before the new one can come. Throughout this feast day of St. Maximilian, patron saint of drug addicts, prisoners, families, and journalists, may we all pause to consider his story and how it speaks to each of us. I believe just as the divine continues to evolve and be revealed, so do we. Through our spirit of love, through our quest for truth, through our prayer of service, may we shed all that encumbers us. May we all find the life that is waiting for us. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Preacher Girl podcast. You can find more episodes on iTunes or at podbean.com. Many thanks to sound engineer Stephen Grant Smith, whose music appears on this podcast. You can find more of his music at amazon.com. As always, feed your spirit, live in love. <laughs>